like a craft beer through a pint glass. These are the gaze of our lives. A show where Lisa and Avery get out their gay decoder rings to decipher the gay alphabet and bridge the gap between the older and younger LGBTQ community and everyone fucking else. And now here are your hosts, Lisa and Avery. Don't blame them. Hey, it's Lisa. And it's Avery. And today we have a guest who has been an employee at the Metro, one of the original gay bars downtown for 17 years. Duffy Anderson. Thank you. <laughs> All right. How long have you been out, Duffy, as a gay man? Um, I would have been 23. It was 1977. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was a bit of challenging at that point. That was not talked about probably back then. Yeah, that was just a few years after Stonewall in New York. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, like, what was the culture that even surrounded that at the time? Well, I was a, in college, and when I started, you know, although I felt it when I was much younger, I knew, but I mean, as far as, like, trying to deal with it openly, uh, it was not easy. I mean, you know, the bars were very hidden, you know, yeah. and uh, the very first bar I went to was with uh, a friend of mine from college, and she said, you know, there's this bar you would like, and it was The Hunt. Now, did any of you ever heard of The Hunt and Chase? No. Here? In yes, Indiana? in Lindsay. No. Okay. That was the first big 70s disco. It was a blast. Three levels. Uh, it was down in the brick building that sits next to, just north of the, um, the arena. Okay. Like Conseco? Uh, yeah, so what used to be Conseco or whatever it is. Luke, uh, no, Lucas. Uh, not the, not the football stadium. The field house. The field house. Yeah. yeah, so if you're standing in front of the field house on Pennsylvania, right there to the, immediately to the right of it, is this four story brick building, office building. And that used to be the Hunt and Chase back in the 70s. And Fred Cooney, or, um, do you know him? Okay, he lives over close to Metro. He owned it. Oh. And um, it was phenomenal, loved it. And the first floor was open during the day and it was called The Hunt. And it was this fireplace, leather furniture, animal heads. It was like going into a cigar bar type atmosphere. And it was one of the earlier ones for the gay community, although there were some older than that too, but I was too young to go in those. And uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was an experience. People were not, very nice. It wasn't a gay bar, though. It was a disco club. Oh, it was a gay bar. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand at that point that uh, there wasn't much mixing going on with men and women. Lesbian and gay men were not mixing. Nope. And it wasn't until the AIDS epidemic really got ugly that men and women started working together on that problem. And that's really what brought the two communities together was the AIDS epidemic. You know, what's funny is mm. I tell people back in the day, we weren't welcome at the Metro almost, kind of. Probably. Yeah. Guys didn't, we didn't, it's funny because we were the same community, but we didn't get along back then. Oh, well, I mean, not get along, but you know what I mean? It we just didn't. was isolated. Um, yeah. And, but women didn't necessarily, gay women, I don't even know if they were using the term lesbian as such, but I mean, 
as I remember it at that time, gay men, gay women, I don't think the women necessarily wanted to be around the men that much either. I think there was this desire to be amongst your own and not yeah. mingle. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And, and because we were not welcome in very many of the straight bars openly, you know, if you were open about oh, yeah. it, the identity to, to be with other gay people was more important. Today, everybody mixes. It's so different now, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I get really upset with people to say, well, you know, I like the way it used to be. I'm like you did. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't know. I kind of like it better the way it is now myself. Right. But, yeah, you know. well, and I go to straight bars more than I do gay bars, and it doesn't well, matter. The, Nobody the, judges The fact of the matter is you shouldn't have to worry exactly. about it. Exactly. We then, shouldn't have to have gay bars, straight bars. And know? that's the way it's going. We don't yeah. really have that as much anymore, yeah. which is nice. But, but in the larger cities, it's changing. And then, thank God, because even when I was coming out and we thought we were progressive for coming out, I decided to date an African-American man in the late 70s. And I'm telling you, that there were probably... people in my group that pushed back. They were like, what are you doing? Gay men? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they weren't straight. They were gay men. That pushback. That's yeah. crazy. Now, you got diagnosed with HIV. Mm -hmm. 1985. In 1985? Mm -hmm. And the AIDS epidemic started back in the... Well, they don't really know for sure when it started. But, oh. I mean, obviously, the, the worst of it was early 80s is when we started noticing it. And then by the mid-80s, they knew. I mean... How did you find out that you had HIV? Well, in 85, that was the first year that they had the uh, test for antibodies, you know, because it took them a while to figure out it was a virus in the first place. They didn't, they called it gay cancer in the early days, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I do remember. Yeah, yeah, and they were doing studies like trying to figure out if it was poppers when we were in the dance floor and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> cost. Oh my God. Oops, I <laughs> yeah, probably would have You know, it they were too. just like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> But you have to understand that the straight community and a lot of the medical community was not concerned with it. It was like, eh, you know, who cares about them, you know. So it took a while to get the attention of people that needed to be working on this problem. So by 1985, we had a vaccine, or I mean, a, not a vaccine, a, a test for antibodies. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, hmm, well, let's see. You know, we saw how you could get it. And I had never done IV drugs, but I had been with men. And I thought, okay, well, let's do the math. Let's go try this. And the first test came back positive. And I didn't tell anybody for a while, several months. I just held it in, and I'm like, hmm. And at that point, that was really pretty much a death sentence. So is that it, scary? Is yeah, it? yeah. And at age 31, I thought, well, you know, if I don't live to see 40, I, I mean, you know, probably won't. And a lot of my friends didn't live very long back then. And um, it was one funeral and nursing home and hospital after another, you know, yeah, those days. I remember. Um, so I, I got tested again, and the reason I didn't make a big deal out of it was my father was dying of lung cancer, and he died in 86, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to, like, make a big deal with me, because I was outwardly very healthy, and he was obviously at yeah. the end of his life, so I thought, well, you know, it's not about me. Although he and I did have a very good conversation before he died about it, privately, and, uh, and it was a very good conversation. That's but, good. Um, you know, I just decided I needed to know. So I went and got tested two more times and uh, came back positive. And so that's when I was like, okay. You know. And I was on a flight to Minneapolis for business at that time. 
and I was reading a Time magazine, and on the cover it said, The Death of a Generation of Gay Men, and that was the front page of Time magazine that week. And I'm on this flight, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And <clears throat> so I came back, and in that article I was talking about, they were concerned at that point, uh, this would have been 87 probably, 1987, they were concerned there were not going to be enough doctors to deal with the caseload because it was just mushrooming so much at that time. And um, so I found a doctor, basically knocked on his door and said, hello, I'm here. <laughs> he's like, you look good to me. And I'm like, well, I'm positive. And he's like, you know that already. I'm like, yep, I need a doctor. He said, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I do, because I think we're going to be short-handed maybe. And so I'm going to pick you to be my doctor. And he happened to be in charge of infectious disease for IU. So I, that was a good choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was great. And Dr. Robert Jones at IU. And he was he the one. There? No, he no. actually left IU, and he was in Africa quite a bit working on the AIDS epidemic there. So oh, I don't wow. know where he is right now. Wow, that was... He had a, uh, an MD and a PhD. And he never planned on being a doctor, he told me in one time in a story. And he said, yeah, I got my PhD because I thought I was going to get uh, drafted in the Vietnam War. And a PhD didn't count, so I went to med school real quick. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What a story. And um, loved him to death. <clears throat> so did he start you on... What medicines did he start you on? Well, he, uh, he's the one who recommended me for the uh, AZT study because there wasn't anything out yet. There was nothing out for any effective treatment until 1986. Oh, wow. Ten, almost nine years later. Mm -hmm. Ten, what, 11 years later. Math. Yeah. So in 1996, uh, I officially was diagnosed with full-blown AIDS. My CD4 count was below 100. I was losing weight. I was not feeling very good. And Dr. Jones was like, oh, my God, we got to do something here. And so I started on... What was that first one? It was like, you took 12 horse pills a day. Yes. I had to keep them in the refrigerator. I just forgot the name. And uh, very toxic, very strong. You know, they at the beginning they were panicking and they were like, throw as much medication at them as they can handle, you know. Yeah. Well, I understand. Everybody was panicked. And I thought I was going to die from that. I was so sick. Horrible. I mean, I, I, about two weeks later, I was like, I can't do this. So I called him up. I said, I quit taking that stuff. That's horrible. And um, he was like, no, 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 I didn't want you to quit. We can switch. There is something else out now. And I'm like, well, we got to do something. Because that stuff was worse than mm -hmm. anything. And uh, I wish I could think of the name of it. Because they use it in small doses uh, today, even still. But anyway, um, the next drug that I went on was called sequinavir. And that did, that was milder, and it worked. By then they were finding out, you don't have to overdose. And it started working. And, um, of course, we nicknamed it Sabaquare. But anyway, the doctors <laughs> were, were not too thrilled with that. <laughs> I like it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I became a poster child for results from those drugs. I had friends who lived longer because of those drugs, but they still didn't make it, you know. So it was just a whole bunch of stuff. Like so that. you're full-blown AIDS. Well, I was. Not oh. now. Wait, it can go backwards? Yeah. I'm sorry, that's Because insane. my CD4 count came back up 
and things started going away that would have been the symptoms. So AIDS can go in remission? Mm -hmm. I never in my life, wow. As a matter of fact, you know, and you have to be careful, like, you know, I'm not a doctor, so. Yeah. Based on, and of course the thing is, I've had such an education that I could probably be a assistant to a doctor and do quite well, you know, <laughs> with this subject. But yeah. um, what they have found out is that the, the virus stays in your body when you are successful with a regimen, and it, sometimes it takes a while to find the right one because everybody responds differently. The... Um, you, your goal is to, to get the CD4 count back up and the viral load down. And when the viral load stays non-detectable for a period of several months to several years, then uh, you become less infectious to somebody else, let's put it that way. And I'm not advocating unsafe sex, that's not what I'm saying. But within my bodily fluids, they have discovered that as the viral load goes down in your blood supply it does and everything else huh. wow so, so somebody getting infected from me right now would be very slim because i've been non-detectable for a long that's time. what i was going to ask too with partners then after you found this out i'm mm -hmm. sure it's changed since 85. well i was in a 20-year relationship when i found out and we'd been together for five years at that point we ended up breaking up we're still best friends he and his husband now i mean we're just all best friends but he continues and was always negative. And we were not safe with each other. And never, never came up positive. Wow. Yeah. I, that has to be scary, though. Well, we were scared to death back well, then. Well, that's, that's yeah. what I, I can't imagine. And I don't know. I, I just can't even fathom just being scared every time you want to have sex with your partner of... Well, we finally got to the point. I mean, you went through that initially, yes. I mean, you can see some of the movies, films from back then that shows that side of it, that everybody was like, oh, my God, we'll never have sex again. And we kind of got past that. But, you know, uh, but, of course, now I'm at the age of, you don't even, I don't even worry about it. You know, I mean, and the HIV thing, I say it that way very cavalier, but I've lived with it for so long that I don't worry about it. Yeah. I get up every day, I don't think about it. I remember I had two friends that um, had HIV. One of them had full-blown AIDS, and I remember watching him deteriorate. My mom was so scared, and I was in high school. She was like, don't drink out of their cups. Don't <laughs> sit on their toilets. And I'm like, because that's how it was back then. Yeah, Nobody I know, knew. I know. People were just paranoid. It was and, awful. Yeah. I, if, I wouldn't mind, if, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't phase me to drink after you now, you know, or drink after you even. But it, it just, it's... Stink. It stinks that they didn't know anything, and it was so bad. People always still have that in their mind, I think, and that's why I really wanted you to kind of explain the difference, especially since it goes in remission, and I never knew that. Well, when I say kinda, remission, I mean, kinda. it's still there. I mean, if I were to quit taking it or the drugs were not working for me, it could rear its ugly head again. I mean, we know that. Well, yeah. And until they actually come up with a cure that completely removes it from the body, it's there. But you can live a healthy life if you do it right, you know. And of course, part of that is that, you know, how you treat yourself helps, too. I mean, it's like that with any illness. I mean, well, like eating and stuff like that. Well, yeah, things, anything. Right? And with what you've been through, I mean, it's just you don't, if you don't take care of yourself, that may not work as well, these yeah. drugs, you know. And 
That's true. Yeah. So, the kind of just to shift subjects a little bit, you've been also exposed to the gay culture as it's evolved, obviously, working at the Metro and then mm -hmm. just being involved in the community. I mean, gosh, what's the biggest change you really have seen? Other than obviously men and women finally are together, but then now there's trans. I'm sure you're exposed to non-binary. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just very open to all that. I mean, I, I get a little bit upset with people that still have narrow-minded views of that stuff. And even within our community, yeah, it's I mean, true. you run into that sometimes. And I'm like, really? I mean, why? Because they don't understand it. Well, no, and I mean, that's it, yes. And that's why we're trying to do this, yes. because I don't understand, and I'm, I, so I want to. But, but, I mean, acceptance is where you start finding out the knowledge that you need. I mean, yeah. if you continue to think that you don't want to know somebody or you don't want to deal with a subject, then you keep yourself ignorant of that subject or the possibility yeah, of understanding, even, you know. And we live in a culture right now with uh, political culture that yeah. doesn't open up to ideas and that, you know. Um, so, with that backdrop, I mean, I think that what do I think I remember changing the most was the men and women mingling, uh, becoming open to each other in the same social settings. Uh, the big thing that I've seen in recent years has been the young uh, groups of people coming in that are gay, straight, whatever, they don't care, you know, they're all in there. You mm -hmm. know? And somebody one time stopped me and said, how come you don't have an S in all those initials? And I said, oh, you mean for straight? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I said, it'll probably happen. So and that <laughs> I was think that's the A, isn't it, for ally? Well, yeah. The but A for ally. No, I get that. We kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. I said, yeah, we'll probably have that, too. You're in here anyway. <laughs> and that's the way we talked. We would tease people. It's like, yeah, well, you can come in. And uh, a friend of mine, I said, let's go to the Metro. And they're like, isn't that a gay bar? I said, eh, <laughs> not anymore. It's a bar. It's a bar. It's a bar. And, you know, it's... I get really upset with people that say, this used to be a gay bar. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. It opened New Year's Eve of 1990. And, oh, wow. Uh, you know, and it's a few I things have changed means. since then, you know. And uh, the avenue has changed. Oh, yeah. The Metro opened. That was, there wasn't anything along there. I mean, it was pretty scary, really. So Board of buildings and, you know, the 60s and 70s were not good to those old neighborhoods. And uh, so then all this has come back and gone from what people used to refer to as the ghetto as a very high-end area now. Right. So the metro is the start of the gamer. Yeah, and, you know, back then, of course, before the Internet, we used to get... Um, I wasn't working there, but I knew Mark Griffin, who actually was the one who started Metro. And he used to get... Um, letters from people in the area threatening. We don't want your kind in here and stuff like that. And that's really kind of what turned the neighborhood around when you look at it. Yeah, I mean, that they brought the gays in and the neighborhood got a lot better. I hate, sorry yeah, I hate to say that, but it's... Halstead and Boys Town up in Chicago, what happened to that neighborhood, yeah, you know? Yeah, I know. The was, Metro's nice, the, the, the Mass Avenue from Metro well, That's what well. I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you know, the neighborhood, that neighborhood up in Chicago used to be awful. Oh, was and, it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it became no, like way overpriced. Well, I know what they are now. That's yeah. all I've ever known it. Oh, no. Now. When I was much younger, that wasn't the best area. I believe it. Well, because yeah. it's just, again, like, I think that that's just a cool culture change to see even. Because it really, it comes from everybody accepting and trying to embrace us, I think. You know, again, I'm still 
relatively new. Well, that's like 45 yeah. degrees. We used to go there every Sunday for sushi, you know, yeah. and used to know 90% of everybody in there. And it's so diversified now, and that's just been in the last five to ten years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's not just all gay in there anymore. or You know, and it's it's diversified. I see a lot of people I know that aren't in the community. There, yeah, and which it's... Which is awesome. But, you know, like they did that uh, salute to... Um, Dolly Parton's birthday yeah. on Saturday there, and uh, and it was really just busy on the avenue from that. We had people in Metro from that. Well, yeah, so I mean, you know, they came down and came in, and so I mean, it's just yeah, it's just really nicely blended, and and we have straight employees too that identify as straight, yep. and I don't care. There's they a little cutie. I was like, you're straight, aren't you? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you're cute. <laughs> With his tank top, I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Him. I know who you're talking about, Matt. Yeah, Matthew. he's cute he as can be. He is straight, but he's adorable. He is. And, and he's and, just so much fun to be around. Well, and I love the fact that back in the day, there would never would have been a straight... Well, no, that's not true. Um, there was one back in the day that worked there that was straight, too. And he was just very open to our culture. But... As a group, I mean, right now, the idea that doesn't matter if somebody works there that's gay or straight or whatever, no. I think that's great, though. That, I mean, no. you know, back in the day, I don't think st- as many straight men, the ones that I knew, would have ever been... Well, they would have felt threatened. Or yeah. They would have been intimidated by maybe their peer group, and now it's less that way. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. I think it's awesome that those guys are comfortable doing that. And being no, there. having said that, I'm sure that you know there's a, a lot of people out there still... That are it's not true. comfortable with that. Well, we I'm see sure. that every day on the news, and we see people such as I saw a gentleman the other day who is an American, Native American, who served in Vietnam, and he was confronted by a group of young Catholic students that, you know, made him very scared. I mean, they were being taunting him in that, you know. And, it, you know, it's a shame. That kind of fear mongering still goes on, that kind of like. Of course, I always chuckle at that because while they were disliking him, I was thinking, well, you know, he his genetics, his history was here before you, and, mm-hmm. you know, in this country. Well, and the thing of it is, bullying is is a major problem, and it's not just bullying us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bullying within our community even yes. too. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that you know a lot of people do that, and they, that's where it needs to stop. And these poor these poor kids well, too coming out. I don't know. I mean, I think that bullying is a generational, handed down, taught by people, you know, young boys who end up doing things that, you know, you would think that their bad experience, maybe with a father that was abusive, for some reason they end up in the same category. You You would think it would go the opposite. Yeah, you would, but it doesn't always. And, you know, so, I mean, it's just education, teaching people, working with their children, you know. We got to teach the parents, too. You know that you guys are an influence on your children. So you know your your prejudices in that are imprinted on them. Are there besides the the Damien Center is mm-hmm. the um, HIV and AIDS place in Indianapolis? Are there any other places like that in Indianapolis? Well, okay, there are other care coordinators that uh, work with people with HIV to help them get the care and insurance and. You know, the big issues that come with it. Um, I associated with the Damien Center for a long time. Um, but I know that Midtown Mental Health probably has care coordinators that do that. Um, there, there are 
two or three others, and right now I'm at a loss on that. I mean, I could look it up on Google, but yes, there are other facilities. Well, I have to look those up. Yeah, and um, they are very good at directing people to get the insurance and, and deal with what Indiana offers, you know, and stuff like that. And insurance has been and always, well, it's been a real problem for a long time for people. It is for everything. Yeah. Now, back when I first found out I was positive, you know, my fear was losing my insurance, and you had pre-existing back then, so you couldn't get insurance, yeah. change a policy and all that. We had a thing called uh, Indiana Comprehensive that was designed for people with pre-existing. However, it was very expensive. And um, fortunately, the Ryan White Act had always been very supported by both sides of the aisle, nationally and locally, and so uh, Ryan White Act would pay the premiums on that for people like me. Oh. We're talking about back several years ago, those premiums were over $700 a month. You know, it's like, whoa. And oh, so... You couldn't afford that. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, um, the uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, brought in the pre-existing clause, you know, that you couldn't discriminate on that, which was really good for a lot of people. For some of us in Indiana, it wasn't good because Indiana decided, oh, well, we don't have to offer you this anymore. So they shut down Indiana Comprehensive, but we, at that point, I was on uh, disability, so I had Medicare, but I had no gap policies or anything uh, offered because Indiana was one of 13 states that did not offer gap insurance for Medicare disability. Now, once you're retirement age, you can get those gap policies oh, yeah. that you see on TV. But if you're on disability Medicare, you can't get that. Well, I know. So, <laughs> yeah, did you know that? Uh, I know I can't, yeah, I can only have the one insurance, which isn't yeah. the best. It doesn't pay so. everything. Nope. And then I found out that of those 13 states, most were Republican administrations and state houses that didn't offer it. The other 37 states did offer it. Hmm. You know, so, yeah, insurance is just, well, as we all know, I mean, it still is very crazy. Oh, yeah, it's awful. It's the yeah. worst part of cancer, too. Well, I think it's just like a Everything. messy system in general. It's one yeah. of the worst parts that the government seems to keep trying to deal with, but not in the right way, but that's a whole different. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, that's always been a real problem. So in the early years of me dealing with my uh, situation, the insurance was like, first and foremost, very concerned about that. And um, and then I used to worry about, you know, how people would react if they found out, you know. Because there were people that were like, oh, my God, you're going to give me this. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Yeah, yeah I, I that's how it was. I mean, that's the way people thought back then, back in the day. Don't drink out of that water fountain. You might get it. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy how they... One of my brother's it. friends had told me one time, he said, you know, if I'd have found out I was positive back then, I would have just blown my brains out. I said, really? Yeah. And I said, well, you notice I'm still here. Right. What a waste. Yeah, I looked at my brother, and it was a shame he didn't. But anyway. <laughs> 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 but anyway, I don't mean that. No, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no. So you've been, you've worked at the Metro for 17 years. You've mm -hmm. been out for God only knows how long. Well, and basically about 
42 years, roughly. Yeah. Can't even imagine coming out back then. Well. It had to have been hard, though. You know, and yeah, it wasn't as bad as, say, for somebody in my parents' generation. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, if you go back to the 50s and before they were arrested routinely and people were, like, really treated even worse. I mean, if, it still wasn't great, but, you know, at least they left. Here in Indianapolis, they left the, the bars alone. They weren't raiding. They weren't doing yeah. horrible things like that. I don't think I've heard of anything like that with our bars here in town or anything too bad. And, oh, now? And, well, oh. no, if, I, I don't remember ever hearing of, like, people going and doing anything bad in our bar, to our bars or anything like that. I don't think we've ever I don't remember. That. I mean, I'm sure that maybe somebody might have knowledge of something. Yeah. But, but, you know. See, and I've really never felt threatened, which is good. Have you ever been when threatened? When I was younger. Did you? Mm -hmm. That's sad. Yeah. But not recently. People just accept you for you. Yeah. Nowadays. The one thing that, you know, when you see some of these uh, situations where, you know, there have been some people going into bars with guns, i.e. in Orlando, mm -hmm. you know. I, you know, I worry about stuff like that now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not necessarily just discrimination against a group. That's just violence in our country. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we all have to worry about that, and no matter who you are. But... Um, I do remember when I was younger that we used to be concerned about going from our cars to the bars, worried about, you know, somebody saying or doing something to us, you know. The only time I ever, a little, just a little bit scared was I was at the Metro the night of the Pulse shooting, because mm -hmm. it, it was Pride. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I remember being a little bit hesitant of going you know when we were there and everybody was texting me and was like are you okay you know this just happened and I was like yeah you know and and I have friends that were hesitant to go back to the bars mm -hmm. because of that well I'm sure and I mean I mean that wasn't that long ago it made us all pause I mean yeah. it's sad that it that wasn't even that long ago well. but again like I think that was like I mean, because unfortunately that's become like a nature of fear for us. It just, I mean, because that's not the only, been, we haven't been the only targeted group. Oh, God, no. I mean, no. even like, if you look at the Jason Aldean concert in Vegas, I mean, yeah. like, that was just, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, it's, it, I think fear is almost its own, but it, again, it's, I think it's also bringing groups together because multiple. For sure. I mean, we're not. For sure. Part. But it's appropriate that, you know, today being Martin Luther King Day, that, you know, that person was attempting to bring people together on a, you know, huge scale at a point in time that, you know, hate was really bad. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's appropriate to think about what we're talking about today with that backdrop today. That's true, though. I mean, it's not just us that get discriminated against mm -hmm. at all. It's anything that's outside of the norm, mm -hmm. I think, is really who gets discriminated against. Well, and unfortunately, you're dealing with a group of politicians that still believe that the 50s white male straight Protestant domination is what it should be. Yeah. I mean, you know, that make America great again is a wink wink to the 50s. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know what that meant. Yeah. And so, you know, and there again, that's like women being put back in their place and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. There's still people that, you know, just grasp onto ideas that are, you know, dying, I, I hope, and uh, don't like change. Yeah. 
And it's just fear. I mean, fear of the unknown. That's what I'm saying. If you get to know somebody, it's like, oh, well, maybe they're not so bad. Well, I can honestly say I appreciate what you and the Metro do for our community, especially and everybody else, and make it so welcoming because I feel like that's my second home. I mean. Obviously mine because well, I'm there a lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think people need to realize that just because you're a cisgender or you're straight or whatever, the Metro and the gay bars, gay bars per se, are welcoming. And you're proving that and, you know, you're saying that now. And I, and I appreciate what you guys do for us. I really do. The Metro is a... Is a safe haven per se. Yeah, and another thing too I'll bring up is that Jim Brown, who owns Metro, yeah. has been very supportive of IYG too. Yeah. I mean, he's donated a lot of money to them. Yeah. Well, what you guys do is great. We appreciate it greatly. So, and we appreciate you coming here on our show and talking a little bit because you're like one of the people that I've talked to about the AIDS epidemic and how long you've been out uh, been out with it, the AIDS, and, mm -hmm. and, and and having that. And so we appreciate you coming on because that's something. A lot of people don't know much about right. mm -hmm. and have never known somebody that get diagnosed with it. <laughs> Seriously, though. That's hard for me to believe, but, you know. Well, or knowingly know, yeah. you know, so we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about that. Well, and well I, thank you. I think it's also, like, because I think, you know, like, I think you're very good at, like, coming from a very comfortable place with all of the culture, and I think that's a really cool thing, too, just you've seen everything, and I think you've had the right mindset from since you came out where it's just about accepting. I think that, you know, I think that's a really big thing. For sure. So. For sure. Well, if you would like to be on this podcast, videocast, um, you can get a hold of us on our website, www.laps.life. Or we're also available on Instagram and Facebook under at the gaze of our lives. Thank you. This has been Gaze of Our Lives. Make sure to check out the gaze online at www.laughs.life. And since Lisa and Avery don't have a lot of money, this episode has been brought to you by Higher Life CBD Dispensary for all your CBD needs. Located downtown Indianapolis at 901 North Pennsylvania Street. And make sure you tell them the gaze sent you.